Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. What happens in Europe doesn't stay in Europe. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, what do I mean by that? What happens in Europe doesn't stay in Europe? Well, the problems that Europe is having with terrorism are a foreshadowing of what will come to America. So America gets to see what works and what doesn't work, which is of course, could be, should be helpful. But the question is, will our obsession with political correctness allow us to take Europe's lessons to heart in tackling terrorism? Now, why am I talking about this today? Because uh, there was a recent meeting in London of NATO and NATO leaders, and um, the issue of terrorism, of course, came up, but it ran into a number of problems, you know, tackling it and how we should tackle it and, and um, whether this should be the focus or not, did not have uh, everybody agreeing on this. Now, it was particularly French President Emmanuel Macron who was intent upon um, rallying all the NATO members to look at terrorism as the biggest threat, the biggest danger. And not only was this a good idea in his opinion in terms of, you know, fighting terrorism, but also um, to make more solidarity amongst European leaders and NATO leaders. Um, because, you know, their, their people are tending to go, uh, have their own priorities and have different opinions. So, um, the question is, did he misjudge the nature of the threat of terrorism and NATO's ability to all rally together to fight it? Now, what's interesting is, um, looking at the origin of NATO, it was established in 1949 to defend the Euro-Atlantic area from the Russians. And 70 years later, um, there is still that underlying uh, commitment to, or, or thought, um, idea, you know, general idea that everybody is huddled together <laughs> because of the fear of Russia, uh, Russia's intrusion into Europe and the danger of Russia and so on. And, um, but Macron thinks that, um, that NATO should instead be focusing more on the threat of terrorism and um, not so much Russia and China. China also has, is thought of by NATO as their enemy. 
Um, Macron said at this meeting, or before, as he was going to this meeting, he said, and I'm sure at the meeting, quote, our common enemy today is terrorism, which has hit each of our countries. Now, he's saying that um, uh, Russia and China are more rational than terrorists, and they can be deterred and reasoned with as opposed to terrorism, where you can't have these meetings, <laughs> or let's put it this way, it's a lot harder to have um, meetings and discuss differences. You know, um, terrorism is hitting Europe with attacks, not, not invitations to tea. So um, the part of the problem with all of this is that a lot of the different countries in NATO have different, uh, different experiences of terrorism, different um, concerns. And so, for example, Poland and the Baltic states are much more, you know, and largely their location has something to do with this, but they are much more uh, terrified of Russia than they are of terrorists. And, you know, there haven't really been um, any major terror attacks in Poland, although there have been some that have been very quietly, <laughs> gone very quietly under the radar for the most part. Um, Italy, on the other hand, their biggest concern is illegal migration. And that's, you know, illegal migration of, of people coming from terrorist countries. So, um, and at the same time, there, many of the NATO leaders, the NATO countries, have certainly been victims of terrorism, particularly in the last four years. France, Germany, Belgium, the United States, the United Kingdom, and the Netherlands, they've all had attacks in the last four years. And um, ironically, with the NATO meeting being in, in London, there was, of course, the terror attack in London um, by a man who had claimed to have been de-radicalized and then, surprise, surprise, uh, perpetrated an attack. Now, what are the reasons, what are the things, um, besides the fact, as I was saying, that different countries um, have different priorities, what are some other reasons why it's hard to unify NATO to the common enemy, to fight a con common enemy, which is terrorism. The first problem is that the definition of terrorism. Different uh, member states have different ideas of what the definition of terrorism is or should be. So for example, they would all agree that Al-Qaeda and ISIS are terrorist groups. But then when you go beyond that, there are some problems, notably with Turkey, because um, they, uh, they, you know, are seeing the Kurds as uh, terrorists, even though the Kurds have helped, have, have uh, worked side by side with the U.S. and coalition forces. So Macron said in London at the NATO meeting, Quote, I am sorry we do not have the same definition of terrorism around the table. When I look at Turkey, they now are fighting against those who fight with us, shoulder to shoulder against ISIS. 
So definition is the first problem. Second problem, Europe and the United States are not exactly peas in, the, in a pod when it comes to what they each think about in terms of what should be done with the terrorists now being, uh, well, some of them are still prisoners in the Middle East and some of them are making their way home to the countries that they came from, or at least trying to make their way home. And different countries in NATO have different attitudes uh, towards what should happen to these returning terrorists. And, um, you know, um, the U.S., has wanted uh, the European governments to repatriate their nationals, their people who went to the Middle East and put them on trial. But Europe doesn't wanna do that. You know, that's easier said than done, but Europe, European leaders don't wanna do that because of a number of reasons, security issues with the returnees, um, you know, when they come back, I mean, there's been this attempt, like in Germany, for example, to catch the people at the border and watch them, <laughs> watch them until they figure out what to do with them, you know, put them on trial and so on. And then the other part of that is whether there is enough evidence, whether they can find enough evidence. I mean, they know that these people were all fighting with ISIS or Al Qaeda or, you know, <laughs> killing people and um, doing bad things uh, against, the, against Europe and against the, the West, Western countries. Um, I mean, that really isn't a secret. That's why they went there in the first place. But uh, proving it, having evidence in a situation where, you know, they're, they're I mean, it's, everybody's running amok or has been running and still are running amok in the Middle East. So to find the kind of evidence that you need to present in a trial, to be able to say what each of the returnees have done exactly, which is treason, you know, which is uh, something against the country that they came from, that is not so easy. Um, right now, Berlin is reviewing cases of German ISIS fighters because they've had to start doing this because Turkey has begun deporting them. And Paris, on the other hand, is very much opposed to readmitting French jihadists with good reason. You know, um, France is having a, a huge problem. And, um, you know, there has been evidence, I mean, not that kind of evidence, there have, there have been attacks. There are many attacks in France and certainly and many um, people who left France to join ISIS in the Middle East. So France, needless to say, doesn't want them back on their soil. And then London um, has another, they want to strip the returnees of British citizenship um, rather than hauling them into a courtroom. So everyone has a different idea. And there was the idea of kind of trying to find a, a universal way for um, uh, dealing with these, but that so far has stalled. And so part of the problem, you know, they, they want to they wanna get rid of the bad guys, but how to do it is something that they can't agree on, or at least haven't yet. But let me stop here. We'll take a break. And when we come back, I'll talk more about what happens in Europe doesn't stay in Europe. 
Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol. We're talking today about what happens in Europe doesn't stay in Europe, meaning the problems that Europe is having with terrorism is a foreshadowing of what will come to the U.S. So, um, as I've been talking about, you know, even though the U.S. is one country, we, we certainly have been seeing that um, it is a very much a divided country, kind of like its own NATO, its own, uh, you know, everybody has an opinion. Um, so I was in the midst of telling you why it is difficult to get NATO to shift its focus from looking at Russia as the main uh, threat, and now it's Russia and China, which has to do with its origins, as I was uh, mentioning. And um, so far, I've talked about two of the four problems in getting everybody in NATO to unify and to um, name terrorism as the number one threat. I mean, it's really kind of staring them in their face. I mean, not to say um, that, you know, Russia doesn't still want to take over the world, but um, terrorism is certainly a more immediate threat, as was proven to the people at NATO when the London, um, London Bridge terrorist perpetrated an attack right at the time of the NATO meeting. In any case, so as I was saying, the first two reasons why it's difficult to get everyone in NATO to agree, one was the definition of terrorism, who's a terrorist and who isn't, and countries have different views on that. And then um, the second part of it is uh, the United States having its idea of wanting each European country to take the returnees back, returnees back and put them on trial in their respective countries, which, you know, I mean, yes, ideally that would be great, but it's very hard to keep track of them once they get back in the country, number one. And number two, um, it's very expensive and time consuming to put them all on trial. And how do you keep track of them and keep the country safe while you're um, trying to make these trials happen? And then also, as I mentioned, um, the idea of being able to find evidence that is the type of evidence that you provide at trial to show what each person did is difficult. Now I'm gonna tell you the next two uh, problems with getting, getting everyone all psyched up <laughs> to, ra to rally around um, terrorism being the number one threat. So the third issue is that there are no military solutions to the problem of terrorism in the sense that NATO has dealt with uh, threats before. It is um, primarily a military organization, NATO, and you can't really um, defeat terrorism in the same way as previous wars or threats by deploying combat ships and land battalions and squadrons over a certain period of time or by bombing terrorism out of existence. So it's not like the typical kind of military enemy or the kind of enemy that you could deal with in a simple or um, unified sort of military solution. Uh, because as all these countries or most of these countries in NATO have seen, the terrorist attacks 
are very random. Many are unsophisticated, um, sudden. You know, we've, you'll never, I'm sure um, no one has forgotten the, well, I hope no one has forgotten the driver who uh, ran his truck over pedestrians in a Berlin market at Christmas. Remember that? And um, the man who took, the terrorist who took his truck um, in, in, in the south of France and ran over pedestrians. And there have been countless other terrorist attacks since then, including the one on London Bridge. Um, the fourth reason why it's not as easy to rally the troops, so to speak, uh, rally the NATO leaders to admit or agree that terrorism should be their number one focus is that a new study showed that um, Europeans fear climate change more than terrorism and more than unemployment or migration. So there is, there was a study done by the European Investment Bank and um, it, sh it the results showed that almost half of all Europeans fear climate change more than a terror attack or losing a job. I don't know where these people, <laughs> And you know why that is, um, in my opinion? Uh, I mean, you know, you, you, you got to scratch your head at this thing. Europe has been decimated by terror attacks. I mean, certainly, um, certainly the, the, the threat, the danger, the impact, uh, the evidence, the, you know, the, the, um, the terror, the uh, impact, of terror attacks has been seen so much more than climate change and, and so much more up close and personal than climate change. I mean, European countries are relatively small compared to, let's say, um, the whole United States. And, um, and I've, if, if you haven't heard me mention this before, I lived in Europe. I lived in Belgium for three years when I went to medical school and also Paris for three years and also London. Um, for about four months. So I, you know, I have um, a lot of experience in these countries. I have a lot of love for these countries. And that is why um, it really bothers me when I see what's been happening over the years in terms of how they have been harmed by terrorists. So this, so, you know, it just kind of boggles my mind that something that has impacted maybe your city, your neighbor, a loved one, how comfortable you feel going into uh, like Paris, for example, that, you know, is kind of overrun uh, by dangers, also in the south of France. Um, I mean, how these things are that are in front of people every day, how they could say that that is not quite as important um, as as climate change, which we don't even really know is an actual thing that is going to happen. But climate change <laughs> has a lot better publicity. There are people who are, who are terrified of that, even though it's more of sort of a, um, a vague kind of threat. It's not like something's gonna come out of the cloud and uh, hit you over the head or palm your home. But um, so it's, it's more ephemeral 
but and I and I don't I'm not giving my opinion as to whether I think that it really exists or not or how bad the threat is, but I can tell you that it is not as as imminent as the threat of terrorism, of being attacked by a terrorist or having your life totally uprooted, changed, and so on, as European countries already have seen. Okay, so this survey looked at 30,000 respondents from 30 countries, including China and the United States. And it showed 47% of Europeans uh, saw climate change as the number one threat. And as I said, that was above unemployment, above large-scale migration, which is another thing that boggles my mind, <laughs> because they certainly are seeing that every day and are not happy with it, and concerns about terrorism. I mean, I guess maybe it has to do with the fact that it was 30,000 respondents not just from Europe itself, but also China and the United States, and that probably skewed the results. Um, many of the people in, in the study group were optimistic about the possibility of reversing climate change, though the leaders, the people who um, are climate change activists, uh, say that that's not true, you know, that, that uh, <laughs> the clock is ticking. Um, and the concerns, now interestingly, the concerns about climate change were uh, even higher in China than in the European Union, which you could kind of understand because of all, I mean, we're already having, um, I mean, lots of people in China walk around with masks because of smog, and I'm not really sure how that how that connects with ch climate change, but I somehow think it probably does, or at least it makes them think of that. Um, and um, now, so 73% of people in China who were answering this survey said were, were concerned more with climate change than anything else. And then in the United States, it's 39%. At least we are a little more sane. Um, and apparently what people in the United States were most worried about was access to healthcare. Um, and 41% of young Europeans between 15 and 29, especially from countries in the South, like Spain and Greece and France, thought they would have to move to another country because of climate change. Don't quite understand that, but except for, well, I'll just leave that. Um, and 82% in overall, 82% of Europeans believe that climate change has an impact on their everyday life. And um, so with all these people thinking in Europe, thinking about climate change as being, um, as being a bigger threat than terrorism, that too is another reason why it would be hard to get all the NATO leaders to agree to focus on terrorism as the biggest threat. Well, stay tuned, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about what happens in Europe doesn't stay in Europe notably the problems uh, that Europe is having with terrorism and how this is a foreshadowing of what's going to be coming to America. And just, um, you know, before it comes to America, um, we should all be caring about it happening to Europe just because of it happening to Europe and the caring about the people in Europe. Um, 
I was t talking about, I've been talking about how it's hard for NATO to focus, take its focus from Russia and to some degree China as being the biggest threat to looking at and focusing on terrorism as the biggest threat. And I gave you four reasons why that is so. And of course, as you could probably tell, I believe that Europe should be focusing, that NATO um, should be focusing, should pick as its primary focus terrorism. Um, not to say that they shouldn't, uh, they should take their eyes off Russia or China, but terrorism is the more imminent, really the more potentially devastating, well, the more imminent devastating threat. Um, now, another reason why I believe this is because uh, of this new study, you know, it kind of shows that the leaders of these European countries who um, go to NATO, who went to the NATO meeting and who, you know, are faced with this conundrum, um, are not really in touch sufficiently with what impact terrorism is already having on European countries, the people. And so let me tell you about this study that just came out um, that found that terrorism witnesses need psychological help sooner than they have been getting it. Uh, they need access to more immediate psychological help. So there has been a study into the effectiveness of a program called Screen and Treat. It was set up to identify and to refer people to mental health services after terrorist attacks in Tunisia, Paris, and Brussels in 2015 and 2016. And what the results of this study show is that treatment should be available sooner. Um, in this study or that looked at, at uh, this program, patients were contacted for treatment a year after the incident. A year. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they needed a study <laughs> to test this. I could have told them this um, without doing the study. I mean, I know that from all my own research on terrorism and my books about terrorism and so on. Um, and just, you know, what, what psychiatrists know about PTSD, that uh, the sooner that you treat someone who has PTSD, the sooner and the more effective you can be in terms of helping them. So um, the study was done by the Care Policy and Evaluation Center at the London School of Economics and Political Science. And they found that most of the 77 people who responded to the study questionnaire said that the attack that they witnessed had a major impact on their lives. Well, no kidding. Um, they reported primarily, and I've been talking about this forever, they reported um, anxiety, depression, difficulty going out or traveling, sleep problems, panic attacks, flashbacks, and hypervigilance. And also a third of them reduced their working hours because of having witnessed a terror attack. And another third or, or similarly a third, uh, there's probably some overlap, but a third also um, have taken sick leave. So what this is showing is that people who witness terror attacks in, you know, in this study, it was Tunisia, Paris, and Brussels, 
um, have these problems. And, um, and what most of them did, two-thirds two of them said that they had sought help from their family doctor before they were contacted under this screen and treat program. And they said, most of these people said, that their family doctor had not been helpful in referring them to the appropriate care. In other words, in referring them either to the screen and treat program or to psychiatrists or psychologists, because uh, you know they feel a little overwhelmed and unsure what to do. Um, so the head of the research team, uh, Professor Martin Knapp, said, quote, in future, evaluations should be embedded in the response to major incidents with the aim of reaching the entire population of potentially affected individuals. Now, of course, that's easier said than done because, um, because of the, the number of people who witness terror attacks. I mean, it's one thing, you know, the smaller attacks and it's another thing. And then also um, what I don't think this study took into consideration was people who witnessed attacks on television. There is also research, other research, that shows that if you um, repeatedly watch a terror attack on television, um, you know, the, the main thing that this was found out about was 9-11, that you too can suffer from PTSD, even though you weren't actually there, but because in a sense you were there watching it on television over and over. And certainly the people in Europe watch, I mean, you know, take for example, the recent London attack, London Bridge attack. Um, surely there were lots of people in London, or, I mean, in the UK and other European countries and all over the world um, that watched that over and over and over. Uh, certainly saw newspaper articles and videos of the, of the, of the bystanders and so on. Now, once there were patients, these, patients, these people who witnessed terror attacks in these countries that the study looked at, once they um, were referred, they still had to wait a few months for treatment. And the main problem with getting enough people soon enough treatment was, what do you think? Funding, of course, and also data sharing issues. So, I mean, the sheer numbers of people affected by witnessing terror attacks or being victims, you know, injured or killed and their families, uh, people who have had loved ones, friends, um, involved, I mean, injured or killed in terror attacks in Europe, um, in addition to just people who, other people who witnessed the attacks. Uh, I mean, this is a, a huge, huge problem that is impacting people, citizens of these countries, uh, on a daily basis, and um, should really make the people, uh, the leaders who are members of NATO, I mean, you know, the countries who are members of NATO, and make their leaders realize that indeed uh, they should work harder and faster to overcome some of these problems that I talked about um, for why it is hard for them to come to an agreement in terms of focusing on terrorism as the number one threat. But um, 
you know, no one, no one has a, a crystal ball to say that to say what your what uh, Russia is planning on doing, um, and how much danger these European countries are actually in. How, how many, but we but what we do know is that um, right now, I don't know what's you know what Russia's plans necessarily are. But we do know that terrorist plans, we do know what terrorist plans are, and that is to come back to their countries, their European countries, and for that matter, America. Fortunately, America has been pretty tough about this so far. Um, I've talked about um, some examples of that, and I'll be talking about more people who have tried to come back to the U.S. after they went to the Middle East. Um, terrorist brides, jihadi brides, and so on. And we have been pretty tough on that so far. But, um, and it is certainly a problem, you know, there isn't any easy solution as to what to do to these, with these people who are coming back, who want to come back. But we know that the more who do manage to um, get back inside their original countries, their countries that they left, to join a terrorist organization to destroy their home country. We know that these people would be dangerous to welcome back with open arms because just like the uh, Usman Khan, the terrorist who perpetrated the London attack has proven to us um, we cannot trust just because they say so that they are de-radicalized or that they really want to be uh, a good upstanding citizen of whatever country they came from originally. So my uh, advice <laughs> to NATO is that they focus on terrorism as the number one threat and start paying attention to the impact that this has been having already, is having, has been having, is having, on their people, and how having a population who are anxious, depressed, hypervigilant, and all these other symptoms of PTSD will have on their country, their country's productivity, their country's culture, and so on, should be considered the number one threat. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.